0: On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this do on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song, in My song's gon' break through like a running back.
1: Good evening and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One It is... Sunday, May 28th, 2023. Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here to talk about a wet, wild, well it wasn't really too wild, but a sort of wet-ish Monaco Grand Prix. Hammy, how are you doing my friend? My
0: my friend, I'm doing amazing. We're sitting here. It's beautiful. I feel like we haven't had rain here in Vancouver in the better part of a month. So it's a, it's a little bit of an anomaly. But certainly, like you said, Monaco got a little bit of rain. And less than a week from now, you and I will be sitting down again to speak about one of your favorite races on the calendar, the Spanish Grand Prix. But my friend, how yeah, are you? Good.
1: You know, this has been a crazy weekend for sport. Not only did we have Monaco this weekend, we had the Indy 500, which I, I also watched today. And it was the finale of the Giro d'Italia, the Grand Tour, the cycling race. So, the, you know, there's been plenty of cool things for me to watch. Did you watch the India today or did you follow along anything at all?
0: Don't put me on the spot. Put, of Our course I'm going to put you on I the spot. I didn't watch the <laughs> Indy 500.
1: I did. I made a point of it because I was going to be on the, you know, on the podcast with Tim Haraney tonight. So Tim also covers Indy. So I had to do my homework and it was a crazy finish. The last 10 laps, there was uh what? Three two red flags and a couple of restarts. And then Joseph Newgarden won it just like basic two lap shootout one on one versus Marcus Ericsson. he he he, he he plotted or just took advantage. Let's just say he made the overtake for the win right at the most opportune time, and it was it was pretty exciting. It was uh, it was pretty cool. Not not you know the the mayhem in the last 10, 12 laps, notwithstanding, it was pretty good. But at least they didn't finish under caution, which is always uh, a, a bonus. And you know what was interesting because McLaren also has an indie team given the choice of being in monaco or indianapolis today mclaren ceo Zach brown was at the brickyard for the 500 so he was uh you know they they talked to him a couple of times throughout the race so they, probably
0: they- probably speaks to the lack of confidence that he has in the current iteration of that mclaren formula 1 car versus the confidence that he has in their <laughs> indy challenger you know
1: askr you guys i'm going to i'm going to the 500 this weekend what do whatever you're going to do. Although it actually did turn out too bad for McLaren today, but we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. So uh, before we get uh, going, let's uh, give a couple of shout outs. First of all, to Magnus of the crew at the race weekend magazine.com. That is the race weekend. R-A-C-E, sorry, R-A-C-E-W-K-N-D.com. Use our promo code with and save 10% at checkout. Also check out racingexclusive.com for unique, one of a kind and uh, authentic uh, Formula One merchandise. You can check out, check out what Teese and the crew have got assembled over there, racingexclusives.com And a big shout out to JT the Human, the incredible artist that uh, created that wonderful opener that we drop each and every podcast. So Mark, before we jump into it, Fantasy. I, I already put you on the spot about Indy, but you look a little bit calmer here. Yeah,
0: I I have You're prepared the for this. Standings. One. And it, it Good for you. It feels like it's been a while since we've done an update, just because. Feels like it, right? It's been yeah. Have, Formula One races have kind of been uh, a rarity recently. It seems partly because <laughs> we had the unexpected uh, dispatch of the Chinese Grand Prix, and of course the. The disaster, the natural disaster in the, the northern provinces of Italy. But I do have an update, and hopefully this will put the smile on some people's faces. I am currently sitting 215th. People don't really care about that. But what people <laughs> will care about is L1F1 has moved up to the number one spot. And Nathan's team has moved up to the number two spot. Ole's Lenus has moved up to the number three spot. Firmly entrenched in the number four spot is Bengals Bubs. Moving up to the five spot is Fire Ferrets. Slipping down to number six, Jesse H. Sliding down to number seven, Charles Ciel. Still at number eight, The Bad Guy One. Slipping to number nine, No Doze. Up to number 10, Buenos Diaz. Up to number 11, My 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 O O O. Up to number 12, Cranger. Up to number twelve, I guess we got two people slotted in the twelve spot. Brooklyn Bagel Race Club, number fourteen. Y- <laughs> Yuki. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just seeing this for the first time. In the number fourteen spot, Yuki's Farts 2023. <laughs> and to round out the top fifteen, Shake and Bake Baby. So quite a bit of movement this week.
1: Shake and Bake Baby is that Pars's team? That sounds like something. Well, at least the baby at that just kind of like made me maybe wonder if that was your son's team, but. But <laughs> there you go. Cool. So yeah, you know, you know what time of year it is. This is the time of year where I've uh, officially forgotten to check in on my fantasy team. So oh. you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll oh. probably remember to do something. I'm trying you know, in to October.
0: verbalize my disappointment that hey. last year you didn't even have a team. This year, forcibly, you have a team, and you've already abandoned. Hey, signed it. up. What more do you want? Child yeah, Protective like, Services needs to come after you for abandoning your 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 My fantasy Formula One team, baby.
1: It? Sure, fair yeah. enough, fair enough.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. They'll, they'll show up at your house and see the other three kids and like, no, I get it. You've got a lot to
1: learn. <laughs> they'll, they'll take me away. <laughs> please, please t- take me somewhere quiet. And on that note, quiet, it has not been in the world of phone um, motor racing. Talk very quickly about Indy. I don't think we need to go uh, into it much more because we'll soon get out of our depth. But it was yeah i must admit hammy it was kind of cool to watch um you know the indy 500 uh, today you know i, I always uh, do I, I always find this a bit of appointment television you know it's you know whether you're an car fan or not it's always worth uh, you know, watching at least a little bit of the 500 and of course everything else that's uh, going on so let's talk about the grand prix today so uh yeah. So Max won again. <laughs> and it was funny, just to, we should just tell everybody listening is just to, before we sat down to hit record here in the studio, I was looking at the schedule. I said, oh, wow, that's really the sixth race of the year. And you were just like, you, you totally like the, your, your astonishment mirrored my astonishment. And it just feels like it feels like the season's been going on for a long, long time. And we really haven't had all that many races like I feel like, you know, like my internal body clock or body calendar, whatever you want to call it, internally, I feel like we're like on at least round 10. Like I feel like we're at least, you know, three, four, five races ahead of where we actually are. And
0: I feel, I feel yeah. the same way. And my, my, my reaction was not a particularly positive one either. Like when I saw that, we're like only six races in. And then, of course, I count backwards on the calendar towards Abu Dhabi. And I'm just like, oh man, we've got 16 races left this year. And that is totally the the wrong attitude as an <laughs> F one fan, especially as an F one podcast co host. But there's a lot of F one left this season, and you're right. It feels like because I guess the season began in March. You know, we're three three and a half months deep, but because of that extended break, because yep. we missed the Imola race, we've only had six Grand Prix. But it just it feels like Max Verstappen and Red Bull have have buried the competition, and in so many ways they have. But I mean, mathematically, there's still plenty of races left for surprises to happen. But I just Based on what we've seen this weekend, I don't I don't anticipate that happening, and we'll, we'll certainly get into that. But I think, based on the outcome of the race, at least for Sergio Perez today, I think that question about Perez really, really putting pressure on Max until later in the season is is pretty much done. I think that narrative, that conversation, is over at this point. It's really just a matter of hey, when do we start circling dates on the calendar based on mathematics, um, determining when when Max could wrap this up? Like, I think that's the question we're going to start having at this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Just like, um, you know, like how good he's driving right now, because I mean, in, in qualifying, that was an incredible qualifying lap from Fernando Alonso. I thought he was going to start on pole position. Max goes out for his final flying lap. He's not sitting purples anywhere out on the track. You know, he's like two tenths of a second behind at least going you know by the time he hit the end of sector 2 compared to Fernando he goes into the third and final sector on the track which is a sl- l- the slowest shortest uh, you know section of the the, the the circuit and then somewhere out of the bag he pulls out just an incredible sector makes up all the time they needed on Fernando and more and then sneaks ahead of him by, what's it like eight or nine hundredths of a second? So a very, very small margin, but, you know, it just, um you know, he just in those last couple of corners, he just absolutely nailed it. Like, like millimeter perfect in the line that he took where he, you know, where he hit the brakes, what he hit the accelerator. I mean, this, guy just is not putting a wheel wrong it is absolutely incredible what he's doing and and fernando alonso 2023 fernando alonso is no pushover (laughs) and it's it's too bad in a way that fernando didn't get pulled because it would have been interesting to see i i I have a feeling that well who knows max could have taken the lead going into turn one but you know what i mean right
0: i think unquestionably it was a Pretty sensational conclusion to qualifying. At least Q three was pretty sensational. That that last minute where where you see an Alpine driver peg that that fantastic Acon, that fantastic what appeared to be. Pole lap, only to be undone moments later by Alonso. And I I love that you speak to the fact that Max wasn't having a great lap. That lap where he set the pole time, it it was the first couple of sectors were a little bit scruffy, and and then he kind of brings it together at the end. And maybe it's not a surprise, but it was phenomenal, and it it made me remember back at Jeddah in twenty twenty one in qualifying, where he was putting in that stunning that stunning qualifying lap, hoping to take pole from Lewis Hamilton when they were battling down to the final race for that championship and he hit the wall. And, and I always remember that comment that Bryson Sullivan said the first time he was on our show, which is, you know, when these cars are being driven in anger, they dance on the edge of adhesion. And I I think in 21, that's, that's where Max was. And he pushed just, he pushed just a little beyond the limits of the car. And you know, when I went back to watch that, That that lap this this weekend, and of course, this is a very different track. The top speeds are nowhere near as close. But he was he was walking that very fine line between keeping that car firmly planted and balanced, and colliding with the wall, like centimeters centimeters in some places from hitting the wall, and and ultimately finish or starting in P ten. But it was absolutely amazing. And the the Fernando Alonso story, I think, is what we all wanted, right? Which is we wanted Fernando Alonso to take pole because you know what that puts him in a position where maybe. He can contend for a race win, but it is still remarkable that this is the first time that he started on the first row in Monaco since 2007, 16 years, which just speaks to the (laughs) longevity of his career. And of course, that point, which would have been his one sole year, well, his first year with McLaren, the first stint with McLaren, you know, he'd already was a two times world champion, but... Great great qualifying the Acon lap was sensational, which set up a phenomenal weekend for him and he really he didn't step a foot wrong and and you know we can probably talk about this a little bit later but boy, was that a weekend that Otmar and, and the entire Enstone Alpine Renault team so desperately needed. but I think right? if I can wrap up my thoughts on qualifying that qualifying was not necessarily a surprise because it is the most exciting part of the weekend at Monaco, but the last minute of Q3 was pretty sensational.
1: It, it was it was um you know I, I know we were pretty harsh about this race on the, uh, the the preview show that we did a couple of days ago. And I think, you know, I'm not going to walk away from those comments. I, I think, uh, you know, by and large, they're still well-deserved, um, you know, the, the way that uh, Formula One's evolved, even though it's it's funny that Martin Brundle said something over the other course of the weekend, said, oh, and you know, this is something for the naysayers who said that uh, Formula One about has outgrown Monaco or outgrown this circuit. and." It's just like, yeah, I, I don't really know what to say about that. Just because you got a couple of like exciting moments here. Or there doesn't make it s- a, a successful Agreed. weekend. Agreed. You know, I mean, th- there were some very, very exciting parts to it. I mean, let's look at the starting grid. We had Max and Fernando on row one. We had Esteban Alca and Carlos Sainz row two. Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc on row three. Um, Charles being given a grid penalty for blocking Lando Norris during qualifying. He'd actually qualified third, I believe it was. Then he had Pierre Gasly in the second Alpine uh, seventh and George Russell eighth. And then on row five, he had Yuki Tsunoda on Lando Norris. And then, you know, we don't really need to go down anything uh, further than that. So, Interesting, right? Because Sergio Perez has a moment in in qualifying in Q one, and then so he's starting from the pit lane, starting from the back of the grid, right? And it's it's interesting because uh, you just brought up that uh, that Bryson quote where these cars dance on the edge of adhesion. So I still think that that Sergio at least believes that he can challenge and push Max Verstappen for this world championship. And Sergio, I think this weekend, a couple of times, you know, he's obviously had some 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 problems there. He was pushing himself in the car to the limit, but his limit, that line where he sort of gets to the edge of the lo- the envelope, is much smaller compared to like Max Verstappen, Max pushing it and being able to get away with it, and Sergio pushing to the like the limits and beyond of his own personal abilities. I'm, I'm not saying that Sergio isn't a talented Formula One driver. It's just this weekend, you know, Max and, you know, Sergio, I think, probably figured he could challenge Max more and just wasn't able to do it. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more.
0: Yeah, I, I very much agree, and I think there's a couple of other takeaways from this, which is really, and I, I'm just I'm pulling up some notes here that I I was I was making as we were going through this Grand Prix weekend, and I made this note that the Red Bull the RB19 was really no more optimized for this track than any other car, and because it's such a low speed, reasonably technical track, I think sometimes. That the sheer horsepower, the downforce of these cars is less relevant. And I think this is a track where the capabilities and skill set and the racecraft of the individual drivers really shines. And mm-hmm. for Max to win by 28 seconds over Fernando Alonso in the rest of the field just demonstrates that he is in a class of his home owned. I think this, I think this, this, this track, and I could be wrong, but my interpretation is always that this track does a lot to um, nullify the advantages that some of the better cars have. And I think despite that, despite the fact that there was perhaps some more technological parity this weekend, that ultimately he just ran away with it. And and Fernando, or not Fernando, Sergio was just all over the place this, this weekend. And I think there's some real consequences. One, that the cost that they effectively had to rebuild the car. And you know, if he didn't have a gearbox replaced after that crash and qualifying, that gearbox is probably going to last two or three races less than it would have. And replacing the rear suspension is pretty expensive. But I think the biggest consequence to, to him crashing and qualifying was the fact that that car was craned up So everybody in the entire paddock, everyone and Monaco could see the underside of that car. And that's that's a real problem for Red Bull because I think Red Bull's greatest advantage this year has been possibly the downforce that they're creating off of the bottom of that car. And let's be very honest, the only time the competitors see the bottom of your car is when it's being craned up. And that hasn't happened for the Red Bulls this year. And of course, it actually also happened to the Mercedes this weekend as well. So we all got to look at that brand new Mercedes floor, but nobody's out. to emulate the floor of the Mercedes because no one knows if it's good yet. and We probably won't for a couple more races, but this weekend, everybody had the opportunity to see in crystal clear 4K detail the bottom of that car. But Sergio just was all over the place this weekend. And, you know, he was being interviewed after the race and and somebody had asked him like, hey, do you think there's still a challenge for the World Drivers Championship? And he he was pretty candid. And he said, look, this, this weekend was a disaster. And he's like, I have to be literally perfect every single race. Every single time I step in this car for the rest of the season to be able to contend. And also he didn't say this, but this is me reading into it. You also have to wish for some bad luck on, on Max Verstappen and Max doesn't create bad luck because he doesn't make mistakes. So, you know, is there going to be a DNF or a collision or, or something like that? And then there was also kind of a conversation today about the fact that, you know, we turn around real quick and this weekend was a psychological disaster for, for Sergio Perez. And is it a good thing that we're going to Spain so quickly? And I, I, I kind of had like this thought because last, you know, cause I talk about it all the time and I'm usually exhausted by the time we sit down and record on Thursday, <laughs> but I, I'm in an adult basketball league. And last Thursday I played awful, man awful and the only thing i needed psychologically mentally was to get back out there again as quickly as possible and to erase the memory and i'm i'm sure he's going to be extremely anxious to get to get back out there but a really tough weekend for sergio perez but i think max simply established once again that if if he's not clearly the best driver on the planet today or the season in the world then then it, i think this kind of reaffirms it. I, although i would say that fernando alonso if you were going to if you were going to Debate who's been the better driver this year. I think there's an argument to, to be made that maybe Alonso has been the better driver this year, given the equipment that he's being paired with. But Max was just absolutely phenomenal this weekend.
1: Yeah, you know, just absolutely perfect uh, once again. But this is that that's the same thing we watched Lewis Hamilton do during that decade of uh, Mercedes dominance. It was just like, how many times did Lewis put a wheel wrong? Like, basically never it was a how many times did the the equipment let him down also basically never I mean the one and, and I mean they they did occasionally right I mean there was the double DNF in Austria one time with uh, Lewis and also with um, with uh, Valtteri Bottas a couple of years ago then there was the, all the incidents that uh, that Lewis had with uh, with Nico Rosberg during when that relationship was at its absolute uh, you know, worst and then there was a the time of course famously when and the car blew up. The engine blew up on him in Malaysia in 2016. It was just that that Lewis not only was he driving at such a phenomenal level, he did it week in, week out, race in, race out, every single time he got into the car. And I remember hearing Nico Rosberg after he retired, you know, not too long after he retired, after winning that uh, 2020 or sorry, 2016. Uh, world championship and basically one of the, the reasons he said that he decided to pull the plug and walk away without even going back to defend that title was that he just part of it wasn't he wasn't prepared to to go and battle again head to head with lewis hamilton <laughs> every single time each one of these guys got into the car over the course of a, an entire season he said that the mental cost was just uh, too high so there's you know there's a bunch of things that went into it but but we're watching Max Verstappen do the exact same thing and of course that's going to get the get the headlines right now because <clears throat> excuse me I mean it's been all Red Bull through the first half dozen season or races of the season but Fernando is driving really really well as as you mentioned but I think I've kind of got to the point right now that Max He's in a class of his own. The car is in a class of its own. And now I'm kind of like, and I don't want to sound kind of like defeatist or fatalist that, yeah, you know, Max is going to win this thing because he probably will. But the point is I'm looking now at Sergio Perez and Fernando Alonso, there's only 12 points separating the two of them in the world championship right now. Max has got like 144 or something like that. I believe that, um, that um, and I, I don't have them pulled up here in front of me, of course. I believe that Sergio has something like 105 and then Fernando has 93. And then there's a quite a bit of daylight between Fernando and Lewis, who's uh, currently fourth in the championship. But that's pretty juicy, I mean, to see where Fernando is right now, third currently in the world championship. And of course, like you mentioned, we still have 22 races to go. But you got to think, if you're Fernando Alonso and, and Aston Martin, you're eyeing that 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 potential opportunity to take a second in the, in the world championship. I mean, for them, that would be very much like winning a world championship, considering where they are who they're racing against and just kind of like where they are on that that development you know track that they have with uh, the the way that this team is investing how they're growing how they're building and how they're you know they they're aiming to be a world championship caliber team a couple to several years down the road i mean if if they were able to take second in the world championship with fernando that would be a huge huge victory even if he ends up third i think would be a huge accomplishment for that team
0: yeah daily this is also the perfect segue into another conversation point that i had not no- noted down in my my notepad that I wanted to talk about, but just to recap the first six races of Fernando's season. So far third place in Bahrain third place in Saudi third place in Australia, fourth place in Baku third place in Miami and a second place today. This is his first second place finish since Hungary in 2014 when he was concluding his, his uh, I don't know if it was a short run, but his run with the Ferrari team. So his first second place finish in nine years. I, I think though that as you speak to, You know, for Aston Martin, a a P2 finish in the World Drivers' Championship would be, I think, beyond their wildest expectations of what they could have expected this year. But like you said, there is now only 12 points between Fernando Alonso and and Sergio Perez. Despite the fact that Sergio Perez has two race victories this year, it's it's pretty incredible. And I think that could be, we all know Max is going to win. Let, let's be honest, Let, I think if you and I came and tried to paint a picture that, hey, this championship is still wide open, I think people would see through us and, hey, you know what, they're inauthentic, they're, they're not being realistic, they're pandering, they're just trying to drag out the championship because they want to keep cashing those sponsor checks. But I, I think the, the bigger story here is I have a real estate announcement. And my real estate announcement is I have listed my condo on Lance Stroll Island for sale for once once and for all. I bought it as a pre-sale in 2016. I moved in in 2017 and I am done. I am absolutely done. I, I, cannot, I cannot continue to make excuses for... For Lance Stroll, and you know, you and I gave him some space at the beginning of the season because he had the cycling incident. But you, you look at his finishes this year P6 retirement, P4, P7, P12 retirement. And I get that, you know, he probably would have gone to Q3, but he picked up some floor damage and ultimately had to have the car worked on. But despite, and maybe with the exception of that overtake of Logan Sargent, I think P8 or lap 18 or whatever like this was a terrible race weekend he looked scruffy he looked untidy he was clipping the walls his race craft was damaged he was going in too hot he wasn't picking his corners he's been terrible all season and you know i think if not for the fact that fernando alonso has been so exceptional in the exact same machinery i don't think we would probably notice just how bad he's been your your teammate cannot be p3 in the championship with 93 points and you be sitting on 27 and you know you and i talk about the fact that lawrence stroll is a ruthless businessman he's the chairman that he's invested hundreds of millions of dollars into this operation i do not know how he can walk into that new factory in silverstone in in and and be taken seriously when he continues to choose to put Lance Stroll into that car when Lance is not even in the same hemisphere as Fernando Alonso despite the fact that Fernando's forty and he's new to this team and he's driving a car with a Mercedes power unit for the first time and all mm-hmm. the there's just. Logically, it just doesn't make sense. And I think if Lance Stroll was in year one, two, or maybe even year three of his career, you could make an argument that, look, you know, he's still young and he's learning the tracks, et cetera, et cetera. Dude, he's he's a hundred plus Grand Prix into his journey. He's been in the Formula One championship since twenty seventeen. If if he was gonna show us that he could deliver consistent podium esque results, it would have happened by now. But you know, Fernando's sitting on five podiums this year. He's been P four better in every single race. Lance has one P four finish. It's not good enough. And I think if I'm Aston Martin and my objective is to win a constructor's championship, I can't do it with Lance Stroll. I can't do it with Lance Stroll when Fernando Alonso is in an entirely different hemisphere of performance and Lance isn't the worst driver in Formula 1 but I think he's his performance is making a mockery of all of the things that his dad's done to build this world class Enterprises, world class Formula One team, and you know they can have the best factory, and they can bring in Martin Whitmarsh and Mike Crack and all these other tremendous personnel. But continuing to put Lance Stroll in that car is simply undermining all of those other efforts. And if he's back, if he continues to drive like this, and he's back next year, well, shame on them because they're undermining their their efforts to win a world world championship.
1: Okay, let, let me put it to you this way: say you're Lawrence Stroll. End of the season or silly season, which usually kicks off like literally like right now o'clock at this time (laughs) of year, (laughs) right? Let's say that you find out Lando Norris, for example, is available for 2024 and you look at what what uh, Fernando's doing, you just you ran down the season so far for both those drivers. You look at the constructors. You got 249 combined for Sergio and Max and Red Bull and the constructors. Aston Martin sitting second, which is a great place for them to sit right now. They got 120 points. That's only one point ahead of Mercedes. And Mercedes, you know, the W14, they finally have implemented plan B. You know, I heard that the, cup, the car is now upgraded. It's not awful to drive. It's just now simply not good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but total. you know oh, total.
1: <laughs> you gotta love those total quotes right but the thing is they're you know this this is a golden opportunity because mercedes can only go up ferrari can theoretically only go up but they never do uh or they do and they continue to frustrate because they they they, they, they poke their head up above water and then they drag themselves back down again but the point is mercedes isn't quite there ferrari isn't quite there aston martin is in a Perfect spot to really, I wouldn't say put a lock on that second place in the constructors, but really, really solidify and consolidate what they've done. But when they're only a single point ahead against, uh, you know, against Mercedes head to head in the constructors. That's a problem because I'm sure that if you ask George, if you ask Lewis, are you happy with the season that you've had thus far? Both of them are going to say, no, we're definitely not happy, but we're, we're happy that you know, we're sitting you know, like with a, you know, w- with a chance of moving second in the constructors championship, because that would mean something to the team. So, you know, you know, obviously Lance has to pick up his, his, you know, his portion because 27 points after six races, like you say, say Clearly, just isn't good
0: enough, right? That Mercedes comp is perfect, though. So you, right now, you've got Lewis sitting fourth in the championship on sixty-nine points. George Russell sitting uh, fifth at, on fifty points, and neither Lewis or George has been perfect. And, and George had some some moments today, and and again, he was maybe <laughs> in line for a P three finish. But ultimately, when I look at Lewis and I look at George, and I talk about the opportunities at Mercedes, you know what? I, I would say, hey, there is more opportunity with the car than with the drivers. But when I look Look at at Lance, he has arguably, not even arguably, he has the second best car in the championship and he's sitting in P eight on 27 points with two retirements and a P12 finish. That's 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 unacceptable. And I just I think my point is Lawrence Stroll cannot be taken seriously as an owner of a Formula One team if he continues to handicap the team by putting Lance Stroll in that car. And I I have made excuses for Lance Stroll for years. I made these analogies that he's Andrew Wiggins type, but I don't think he is. I think he's a perfectly capable Formula One driver, but now that he's in a great car and he's in a great car next to a world-class driver, he's being exposed for what he is, which is not a world-class championship caliber driver, which I think is what we've always been led to believe he was capable of being if in the right situation.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, like that AMR 23 has some issues to it, but a lot less than a lot of the other cars that are out there. And it's not like that Fernando's struggling. He's doing, it. it's a very good car. It's it's a little bit draggy from what I understand, but so that's like, it's biggest drawback. It's not like that Fernando is literally holding this thing together. I mean, he's done Everything that he can in a very good car, and he's maximized his finishes in every single race, and he should be applauded and congratulated for it because it's been fun to watch so far. Because uh, I, I'm afraid if we didn't have this Fernando story, that uh, it would you know we we'd kind of be back in a kind of like a a replay of the Mercedes years. But instead of being like uh, Nico and Lewis or Lewis and Valtteri, it's just Max and Sergio. So, and nothing against them or Red Bull, but, and nothing against Mercedes either, but I've kind of gotten to that point in my life. I want to see a little bit of variation. <laughs> I don't want to see one team dominating because it's, it just didn't start with Mercedes. It didn't start with Red Bull. You can go back, make the same uh, you know comparisons with McLaren, with Ferrari, with Williams. You know, going back to almost every single other era of, uh, of Formula One. It just seems that over the years, over the decades, one team tends to get it right and when they do they kind of run off become like you know almost a bit of a dynasty it's like one year after another after another after another i mean certainly what we saw with the mercedes over the past decade was unprecedented but you know just the the fact that one team tends to dominate for x number of years in any era is not unusual to formula one of itself right
0: i would be I would also be remiss if I didn't mention that this was Max Verstappen's 39th race victory as a Red Bull driver uh, mm. that eclipses the 38 race victories of Sebastian Vettel, and he also now sits just two race wins behind Art and Senna. Wow,
1: that that is amazing. I mean, that just goes to show, like that, like since Max kind of like has reached that pinnacle and kind of got into that space where he's driving right now. It's just amazing how quickly all those wins and all those stats and everything and world championships have uh, really... (laughs) <laughs> they've just exploded it is absolutely incredible to see what uh what, what he's done but i mean again that's kind of like what, what mercedes did like uh you know from 2014 on it just like it seemed like all the records would just fall one after another after another after another but you know that's that's no small accomplishment for, for max 39 race wins i didn't realize i thought sebastian had more but i you know i i, I sometimes blur the different eras from, you know, Sebastian's time in Formula One together. You know, I know that there was a bunch more wins that came with uh, Ferrari, but um, I I guess when it comes to championships and things like that, uh, of course, everybody will remember Red Bull Sebastian rather than Ferrari Sebastian.
0: I'd love to yeah. comment a little bit on uh, Esteban Ocon. So, if if you aren't aware, Esteban Ocon was named driver of the day. In post race interviews, he was extremely happy about this. It sounds like that's Great something story. that he's he's long wanted. And if you look at his 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 season so far, uh, a retirement in the opening race, a P8 to P14, a P15, and a P9, and then of course after the Miami Grand Prix, which was probably or arguably the best race outcome of the year for for miami when acon finished p9 and pierre gasly finished p8 there was the the fallout because laurent rossi was present in miami and he was uh he was interviewed on canal plus and he was extremely critical of the entire endstone operation and it seemed like uh it seems like he was taking aim directly at Otmar in his criticisms and I think every I think everyone else at Enstone was catching strays in the process but <laughs> it was it, it was I think perfect timing for them to rebound in this way so Esteban Ocon scores uh, Renault Alpine's first podium of the year in a P3 Pierre Gasly also very quietly puts in a really solid performance and finishes P7 that's his Best points scoring finish of the year. Uh, the two of them now, Esteban Ocon sitting on 21 points, Pierre Gasly sitting on 14 points. This was a team that I think we all thought was going to contend possibly for P4 in the championship as a works team. It, it, they're certainly not going to uh, simply because there's, there's not enough opportunity or time left for them make, to make that ground up. But it will be very interesting from a narrative perspective to see if they're able to continue to build on this and, and consistently contend for podiums because certainly Ferraris leaving the door open and, and Mercedes with the struggles that they've had so far this year and the fact that Mercedes combined between Lewis and George have only scored a single podium finish themselves like there's certainly opportunities um, for them to do so so it'll be interesting to see if they continue to build on that and and I sold this from Reddit but I, I saw an interesting nugget of information today as well that this was the first time that Max Verstappen and Esteban Ocon had stood on a podium together in nine years the last time the two of them shared a podium was nine years ago in the Formula 3 championship race Wow, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, good for Esteban Ocon, also good for, for Alpine, because, you know, they also, of course, uh, did uh, pretty good in qualifying. And if there ever was a way for for Otbar to respond to his critics, aka his boss, <laughs> you know, Laurent Rossi, this was the perfect way to do it. I mean, of course, uh, I, I guess you could say that, uh, oh, yeah, sure. Well, you know, it, it was at Monaco, so, you know, all the, the, the flaws and issues that Carr has are somewhat uh, negated. They're, they're not quite as um, an issue there as it would be in you know, the practically other circuits but i mean who cares right wins or wins and you take your points where you can get them even though esteban did win he got a p3 i thought it was great too and you know i i liked the the, the comment that george russell made saying that he felt like a, a pretty comfortable p3 got away from him and sure kind of sort of not really but I feel that that Esteban did enough today. That I, I think that this was his P three to lose, rather than from, from someone else to to take it away from him. I I thought he just looked, you know, as as much as we were very you know complimentary to Max Verstappen a little earlier. I think that um, you know just like. Fernando, I think, uh, deserves a lot of you know cred for credit for what he did, and I think so does uh, Esteban Ocon. Like I mean, you said that this teammate Pierre Gasly came home very quietly in P seven. I would kind of almost argue a little bit for for Ocon as well. You know, he he did what he needed to do. He kept his nose clean. He didn't get the he didn't de- get into any accidents he didn't damage the car himself and that is you know typically the 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 biggest thing at at Bonaco is that there's there's a pretty good chance that just due to the track itself. And it is kind of tough on the cars that you might have a mechanical issue or you might hit one of the barriers, which we've seen drivers do all the time because they're literally flirting with hitting those barriers at each and every bend and they use every single, single inch on the track. And I think that Esteban did a, a really, really good job. So it was uh, good to see. I mean, you know, no better way to to prove your boss wrong than coming home with uh, you know two cars in um, in 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 the points in a podium as well. You know, as, as much as I I kind of disagree with uh, with George's take that you know he, he felt feels like a, a pretty comfortable P three slipped away from him. I kind of almost disagree a little bit with with Gasly as well, who feels like that um, they could have had like both cars in the top four. He feels that uh, that you know he had a good shout to to get up to perhaps if not onto the podium, then at least into P four. I, I don't know. I'm not quite convinced by that. As nondescript weekends and races that Mercedes and Ferrari mostly had, I you know, Gasly just wasn't quite there, and 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 I think that those you know the couple of Ferraris and Mercedes that were just up the track ahead of uh, Pierre Gasly were just they were good enough and i think that's where they ended up where lewis and george and 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 leclerc and everybody else ended up i think seemed about right so i'm i'm not really too convinced but you know maybe that's a, you know a good sign from you know within alpine that maybe there is something a little bit more to this car of course take it for what it was worth because it's not a real racing track and let's see after this time next weekend what happens at <laughs> in, in barcelona I like,
0: the, I like that by the way yeah it's not a real racing track you you probably couldn't have defined or explained or or shared your thoughts on this track any more effectively but dude you know it's, you it's, I, it's
1: not right because like you take any other street track take take singapore you're right take you're Baku, completely right you know like like even even Saatchi Autodrome, which we don't go to anymore, was kind of like it was a street track, but it was a purpose built track. And they're all, and Monaco, for you know, love it or hate it, is completely different than any of the other ones. So I just wanted to put that out there.
0: I do want to ask you, because this is the first time that you and I have talked today, but of course, Max Verstappen has started the race on the mediums. He stayed on the mediums until lap 55 when he switched to the Inters. Fernando Alonso actually started on a used pair of C3 hards. And of course, on lap 54, just as the rains began, he came in and spent a lap on the mediums. Now, Christian Horner says, and I quote, I was surprised they took the medium tire that totally... Let us off the hook. And in post race interviews as well, Mike Crack uh, was quoted as saying things along the lines of hey, you know what? Maybe we should have gone to, maybe we should have gone straight to the Inters, and maybe this was a mistake, and possibly this could have robbed us of an opportunity of kind of sneaking or stealing a race victory away from Max Verstappen. But Fernando Alonso himself, uh, post race, seemed pretty positive that the strategy they had was not necessarily a bad one. He said, uh, and I quote, I didn't leave the race from the cockpit as you probably saw on the outside. Uh, for me, it was very clear that on that tr- track, on that lap we stopped, that was lap 54, was completely dry apart from the turn 7 and 8. So how I will put the inters, it was completely dry 99% of the track, so I stopped for dries. The weather forecast was for a small shower and a small quantity of rain as well. What we had as a team, and we had a lot of margin behind us to put the dry tires and if necessary, the inter Tires. So maybe it was extra safe. I don't know. But that minute and a half that it took to go through turn five, six, seven, and eight again, it changed completely the weather that is. The outlap on the dry tires, it was very wet when we got on those corners. But that lap that we stopped, it was completely dry. So, you know, I, I think there was a lot of second guessing the the Aston Martin strategy here. Unfortunately, there was enough of a cushion between him and Acon at that point that he could afford to come in a second time without losing that P2 position. But a lot of people and a lot of analysis or analysts and Formula One pundits were arguing that, hey, had Alonso gone straight onto the inters, maybe there would have been an opportunity for him to snatch victory away from Max Verstappen. I'm not convinced. Uh, Christian Horner seems to be alluding to the fact that maybe that could have happened. Mike Crack's comments post race seem to suggest that maybe that was in the back of their minds but at least from Fernando's perspective going onto the mediums was the right decision because when he came in the track was still 99% dry it was only after he'd put on those medium sticky slicks did it, the downpours really begin but i'd love your thoughts on on this
1: yeah. And I'm glad that we got to the point where we could talk about the different strategy between Lewis, sorry, not Lewis, uh, Max and uh, Fernando, because it was it was interesting. If you look at all the cars in the top 10, it was basically split 50 50, either starting on our hards or mediums. So Max started on the mediums. Fernando, like you say, started on the hard tire. So they're predicting that the, the pit stop window for the medium tire runners was going to be somewhere between lap 30 and 38. And, you know, we get into the high 50s or whatever was when the rain started and Max just kept extending and extending and extending because you know I thought it was you know I thought it was a really interesting call because you know logically Fernando's um you know the way that it shook out like I think theoretically the advantage was in Fernando's court right because he's going with the harder slower tires for the first half of the uh, the, the race and I think that you know those hard tires If you didn't have the one mandated, um, you know, stop, you know that that's built into the rules that you have to use the two different, at least two different uh, compounds of uh, tires, that you probably could have run the entire race. I think they were that good, but the thing is that you would have expected Max to come in sooner, but he didn't. But the whole point was that it had it worked out at the end of the race, Max would have been on the harder, slower tires and Fernando would be on newer, softer tires. So you just got to think that that advantage would be there. The only question was that when they were on those, after they made their their pit stops, who would have been where on the track? What would the, the track position? Would would a faster Fernando Alonso try to, try to be catching and overtaking? A slower max for Stappen, or was there some way that uh, Fernando could have put himself in front? Unfortunately, we'll never know. But uh, and and I feel a little bit cheated because the rain robbed us uh, of that. Because there was a real slow burn, and and all credit to Max because he made those those tires last. But I think that call to extend was kind of made for a lot of the teams just due to the to the weather picture. Because we saw it on the like on the radar quite a few times. We saw the pictures from the helicopter. Quite a few times, that the skies were really, really dark. But it was interesting too because if you listen to the comms that were going back and forth from the pit wall out onto the track from basically all the different teams, they all basically said something different. Someone said, "Oh, we got rain coming in five minutes," or "We got rain coming in five laps," or "We'll have rain for the last five laps of the race," or "It's not going to rain for forty-five minutes," or "It's not going to rain until the race is over." But unfortunately it did and like you say it started in that one quarter of the track where you make the right-hander and i can't remember the 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 names i always forget i'm terrible learning the names of monaco for some reason it was you have the 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 right-hander that goes down to the hairpin that eventually goes into the tunnel going down the hill there and that's was really slick but I totally agree Fernando made the right choice because at that point it was only raining there unfortunately the timing was really horrible because literally the moment Fernando leaves pit lane rejoins the track it starts raining in the pit lane and it's it's just the way that it worked out it wasn't a bad it was just unfortunate timing and I guess you could say well well Max got lucky well Sure, I guess he he did because he benefited from the fact that Ferdando was uh, you know had changed, and then that advantage that that he had was instantly erased because then everybody had to go on inters. Because it was interesting too, because in that opening stint of the race, Max being on the medium tires, he was extending. He had like about eleven to twelve second lead. I think it was about twelve, maybe just under thirteen seconds at its at its biggest. But that seemed to me to be about the right gap between those cars the on the fact that due to the fact that Max had the mediums, Fernando had the slower hard tires. And, you know, he, he basically, it, it, it's it's interesting because Fernando, I think he had about, I think, what, what did they say? It was 20 seconds for a pit stop there. So there there was there was definitely time in fernando's pocket so i guess he was kind of like planning on what the overcut maybe seeing what happened to max and then trying to extend or who knows it's uh, it's just unfortunate but the uh when it got wet there hammy it certainly made things very interesting didn't it
0: yeah and I, I, I kind of agree with you on this one that if the data that's available to them suggests the track is going to remain predominantly dry, you, you you have to stay with sticky, slick tires because the consequence of going onto the inters on a predominantly dry, dry track is that they're going to overheat and start coming apart and and an inter yeah. is never going to perform as well on a dry track track regardless of age and tire temperatures a slick. So if the track is dry and you're rocking an inter, it's going to overheat and start coming apart and you're going to be running five, six seconds a lap behind everyone else at Monaco. So that would have been that would have been a, a pretty serious mistake to to have made. So I think they were trying to be, I think they were trying to be Um, strategic in their decision but of course things could have been different because I know Christian Horner had made a kind of a comment as well that they probably left Max out a second longer than they should have and of course by the time he was coming in on lap 55 he was starting to slip and slide and he made a little bit of contact with the barriers himself so you know he's probably lucky he didn't get a puncture and and sustain any suspension damage himself but ultimately I think if they put if they put Alonso onto the inter and they didn't have as much data as they did a lap later um, it could have cost them a podium finish because those tires would have come apart or you would have had to pit to go back onto a medium anyway so the timing wasn't great but i think the fact that max stayed out an extra lap probably probably negated that benefit but ultimately i don't think it would have made a difference that if he'd come in and gone straight onto the inter i just think max's lead was so so substantial he was never going to be able to cut into it even though max stayed out a lap longer and and kind of Kind of skittered about a little bit before he came into the the pits on lot fifty five to go on to uh the intermediate himself,
1: yeah I mean the only way that uh, Fernando could have really taken revenge that uh, of that situation and even that uh, pass max for Stappen is if he had some big moments before he was able to put the inters on and slid into like a barrier damaged suspension or got a puncture or somehow damaged his car which is uh obviously uh, not uh, what, what what had happened but I guess, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it, it all kind of, everything kind of works itself out, but let's take a look at uh, some of the other teams. Now we talked about Red Bull. We talked about Aston Martin. We talked a little bit about, uh, Mercedes, uh, Ferrari again by the time it was all said and done you got Charles in P6 Carlos Sainz in uh, in P8 so let's uh, at this time let's just go down the uh, the final race classification so you had Max Verstappen winning Fernando Alonso was a second for Aston Martin some 27 seconds behind then Aston Ben Alcon for Alpine Lewis Hamilton and George Russell coming fourth and fifth for Mercedes Charles Leclerc in sixth for Ferrari Pierre Gasly in seventh for the second Alpine Carlos Sainz for Ferrari in eighth and then you have a of McLaren's Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri rounding out the top 10 coming home uh, ninth and 10th anything uh, we really need to discuss about uh, Ferrari other than it was sort of a very typical underwhelming and at times frustrating Ferrari weekend
0: yeah I, I don't have a lot to add I know we've got a couple of Ferrari stories that we want to get to next Thursday so I might sit on those until we sit down again but I think again ultimately it was a disappointing weekend and I think all of us are waiting for the day that Charles Leclerc can win at home because of course he's a, he's a Monegasque driver. He, he was born and raised in the, in the, in the principality. And, and I think it would mean the world to him to be able to win a, a champ or win a race here. Of course he's uh he's, finished on pole twice. Most recently, of course, he had sustained gearbox damage that didn't make itself uh, visible or evident until he was on the formation lap. So he wasn't able to start that race, but not a lot to add from a, a Ferrari perspective. It just seems to be the status quo for the season. I did want to add one quick quote that I thought was hilarious. And this is not Ferrari related, but rather Alpha Tower related. On lap 66, Yuki Sonoda's race engineer came on the radio and said, Yuki, we need to find some pace. It's mainly under braking. Do your best. I know it's difficult. To which Yuki replied, "I know, but this break sucks." Dot dot dot. <laughs> Are you trying to crash me or what? So I got I got such a I got such a kick out of that moment. I just I love Yuki on the radio, and I feel a little bit bad for his engineer because no matter what he says to to Yuki, Yuki's always got a feisty response. But I, I love the passion <laughs> from Yuki, who at that point was still battling possibly for a points finish, although he of course finished significantly outside of the points. And then I know we're wrapping this up, but a. Pretty interesting news story, and we'll save this for Thursday as well, but I think it's worth sharing. Pretty interesting news story just came across the wire, which is uh, Alpha Romeo, who of course is uh, terminating or is having their... Uh, sponsorship agreement with Sauber terminated at the end of the year. Of course, as course, Sauber begins its journey to becoming an Audi works team. Um, look to be finalizing an agreement to become possibly a principal sponsor for Haas. So Alfa Romeo, who is exiting Formula One at the end of this year as a partner with Sauber, may be rejoining the grid in 2024 as part of Haas Alfa Romeo Moneygram F1. So uh, Alfa Romeo might be staying on the grid.
1: Yeah, th- that is really interesting, right? Because it's uh, it's purely a branding and marketing exercise for for Alfa Romeo. They're not putting any no
0: technical human power input, behind no it, no technical, technical input.
1: and yeah. So it, it, it's interesting, right? Because I, I'm not sure how much uh, money that they're paying in terms of sponsorship or whatever to to to, to Salber to call that team Alfa Romeo. <laughs> but uh, th- they obviously feel like there's good. it's a worthwhile investment that they're getting something out of the sport by being associated with a formula one team. Even if it's as a a title sponsor that the car is an Alfa Romeo but, uh, but 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 not really so maybe you'll become Alfa Romeo. Think
0: about the the number of manufacturers sure. that are now involved with the sport or are going to be involved with the sport soon. Obviously Mercedes is is involved, Honda is involved, uh, Alfa Romeo involved, Ferrari involved, McLaren involved, Alpine and Renault because you could see them as two separate brands as well. Sure. Um Aston Martin and of course Ford is coming aboard and now Audi yep. is coming aboard there's an awful lot of automotive manufacturers that are involved with this sport or will be involved in competing on the grid very soon. So I think, uh, and Alfa Romeo, it's, it kind of seems logical that maybe they don't have any technical input in the car because they're ultimately going to partner with another team that is partnered with Ferrari, which is part of the broader uh, Alfa Romeo Ferrari family that there's a lot of brand synergies there. So it kind of makes sense. But you're right. Like that's not a technical partnership. That's very much a branding exercise as you described it.
1: Yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how that, um, you know, if it comes to, to be true, you know, how that, uh, how that looks. And then, and, and I guess uh, that we will have some sort of like identity crisis at, uh, at, um, Alpha Romeo slash Sauber for the next couple of years before it becomes Audi proper in twenty twenty six. So it kind of makes you wonder: what well, you know, do? They just revert to Alpha? Sorry, to to Sauber again, or is there going to be some sort of placeholder name like we thing. saw yeah. with yeah, yeah, like, like, the racing same thing. Points, yeah, you, you know, You like can't, racing, you can't yeah.
0: put the Audi badge on that car yet because it's going to continue to have a Ferrari power unit for another two years. Yep. So yeah, I think you're right. It's probably. It's probably going to have some form of Sauber in the branding for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, that—that's about the only way that uh, it really could uh, could work that way. So, yeah, no, that's kind of a cool one. Uh, I, I'd heard that uh, th- that maybe something was uh, was happening there. So let's see whether or not it pans out or not okay before we uh, turn off the light let's uh, just uh, go and take a quick look at the standings now on the constructor side we have a Red Bull leading the way with 249 Aston Martin second with 120 Mercedes third with 119 Ferrari fourth in the constructors with 90 points that is very underwhelming and then fifth is Alpine with 35 on the driver's side uh, we have Max Verstappen still leading the way uh, with 105 44 points ahead of his teammate Sergio Perez in second with 105. Fernando Alonso from Aston Martin is third with 93 points, followed by uh, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell from Mercedes. And the Mercedes drivers have 69 and 50 points respectively. Then in sixth, you have Carlos Sainz with 48, Charles Leclerc 7th with 42. Then you have Lance Stroll, Esteban Ocon, and Pierre Gasly rounding out the top 10. Pierre yeah, Al- has uh, 21 points, Gasly has 14. So there you go, the, uh, the 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 Alpine drivers sneaking into the top 10 in the uh, drivers' championship at the at the moment. Anyways,
0: Hammy, anything else we need to add this evening? Uh, only that friend of the show, Matt Clark has just slid into my DMS and it looks like we might be getting him on the show in the next couple of days. Of course, he had a personally a big race victory on the weekend. So excited to get Matt Clark back on the show. Um, but if you do like what we do here and hopefully you do, and if you're listening at the minute 55 mark of a Monaco Grand Prix race review, you probably do like what we do. Uh, we would be honored if you could give us a rating on Spotify. And if you use an Apple device, if you could give us a rating and review, it would mean the world to both of us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thank you one and all for joining us uh, tonight. Mark and I will be back in a couple of nights uh, on Thursday to wrap up all the latest uh, Formula One news and uh, stories and everything else that is going on. And we'll also preview the Spanish Grand Prix, which we'll be talking about this time next week. So if you want to get in touch, send us a tweet at scuderiaf one pod or send us an email at scuderiaf one pod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's a wrap. Thank you very much for listening. And on behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton, have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now.